Um, I want to do a quick review. Uh, the next slide will show you. Um, we've been going through this section of the Sermon on the Mount, 6 and 7, and really Jesus is addressing three, I think, major issues in the lives of people. Uh, in, in 6, 19 to 24, he deals with money and possessions. And so he addresses, he is speaking about his kingdom and addressing the issues where we live in the kingdom of the world, separated from God, and it is one of those things people are really concerned about, wealth and possessions. And he points out that where your treasure is, there is your heart. And then in the latter part of six that Mike talked about last week, he addresses the whole issue of worry and anxiety, about the worries and concerns that we all go through. And he addresses that and talks about the notion that from within his kingdom, um, this is not a thing that you should be worrying about. You shouldn't be being concerned. God knows what you need. And then tonight, we're going to look at, he then picks up the subject of judging. And so I want us to read um, uh, Matthew 7, um, 1 through 6, which is his portion on judging. And he says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them underfoot in turn, and tear you to pieces. In our culture today, in the United States and in the West, you will hear as a prime value spoken, particularly by millennials and just beyond it, that you are not allowed to judge. It is drummed out no one is allowed to judge another person. And in talking with the kids at school at Desert, I get this from the kids at school all, all the time. They have been affected by our culture. They understand you're not allowed to judge. And they like to go to this passage and say, see, Jesus said, do not judge. And I'd like to point out that when Jesus said, do not judge, he did do a full stop. The sentence continued. There's a context here. But I want to address something. You know, the next time that you talk with someone and you say something and they say to you, are you judging me? You're not allowed to judge. The thing that I have found to respond to that is to ask them a question. And that is this. Is that a judgment? 
When someone says to you, you're not allowed to judge me, that is in fact a judgment. That statement that we are not allowed to judge is actually self-refuting. If we're not allowed to judge, then to make any judgment of somebody judging you, which is a judgment, is a violation. It's nonsense. In fact, the scripture is really clear that we are to make judgments. That, and this is, this is not a, um, this, this is not the scripture contradicting itself. It's understanding what Jesus is speaking to. Let, let me tell you a story of um, Susie and I one time when we went to Uganda from Kenya. We drove to the Ugandan border and the nation of Uganda had just liberalized its exchange policies. You could exchange money and you didn't have to do it in a bank, which was a real benefit. I had traveled to Uganda before when you had to go to a bank and you were traveling on the weekend, there was no bank open, made it very difficult. So I could exchange money at the border. And so we crossed over into Uganda and a fellow approached me. And he said, uh, sir, would you like to exchange some, some US dollars for Ugandan shillings? And I said, yes, I actually would. And he said to me, how, how much would you like to exchange? And I said, I'd like to exchange $100. He said, would you give me a few minutes? I'll go get the, we had agreed on the, what would the exchange rate be? And I knew it was in the realm of what the exchange rate should be. He said, let me go get the Ugandan shillings. And he left for two or three minutes and came back with a pile of Ugandan shillings that was the equivalent of 100 US dollars. So in this type of exchange, he had the money, we counted it all out. So it was like 15,000 Ugandan shillings. And all 15,000 were there. He gave me the pile of money, and I reached into my pocket where I had a $100 US bill, and I pulled it out and I gave him a $100 bill. And I said, thank you. And I turned like this and he said, sir, excuse me. I said, what is it? He said, do you have anything other than a $100 bill? I said, no, I only have the $100 bill. He said, this is gonna create a problem. I said, how? And he said, well, when I go to the bank, they're very suspicious of US $100 bills, and they won't let us Ugandans exchange them. I need something smaller. He said, well, I don't have anything smaller. We had an agreement. We made the exchange. He said, sir, I, I, I've got to ask you, I, I need to give you your money back and take that because I can't make that exchange. And he held out to me What I immediately saw was not a real US $100 bill. He had done this little interesting bait switch. He'd taken $100, put it in his pocket, and pulled out a counterfeit. Now, he didn't know I was American. He thought I was European. And as an American, I've handled American money. I know the color that it looks like. I, I can identify pretty quickly by looking at whether this is a real US. And 
the thing he had had been Xeroxed, colored in, <laughs> and it, it closely resembled, but it wasn't the US hundred dollars, he was trying to <coughs> And I would give him his shillings back, he would give me the fake hundred dollar, and he just made a hundred dollars. Judge not. Should I have gone, well, that's life in the real world. And you're going to get shafted, and I can't make any judgments about this, about this being wrong. That is why this notion that you should not judge is nonsense. We should make judgments. And if you don't make judgments, you're a fool. And you will suffer from your inability to make judgments. So when Jesus says, do not judge, lest you be judged yourself, what is he talking about? Well, I'm going to show you two other things in Scripture that bring up this point. Um, 1 Corinthians 5.12. Very interesting verse. This is at the end of the section in chapter 5, where Paul, in writing the Corinthians church, has addressed a moral issue in their church. There is a guy in the Corinthians church who is sleeping with his stepmother. He and stepmother, Mommy Dearest, have got a little sexual thing going on. And Paul is addressing it and going, this isn't right. This is something even the non-Christians don't do. Several years ago, I was standing in a, um, this is just after we got back from Kenya, standing in Sprouts in the checkout line, and the guy behind me, standing there with a woman next to him, and he says, Mr. O'Hare, and, and I get this often, and I turn around and I have no idea who this guy is. I say, well, you've got the advantage on me. Um, yes, I'm John O'Hare, who are you? He said, Mr. O'Hare, I was a student of yours at Catalina High School back in, in 1978. Do you remember me? <laughs> he said, your name again, and he gave me the name. I said, I remember the name. Unfortunately, you've changed <laughs> since then, and, and I'm certain I, I have. And he said, Mr. O'Hare, I went, do you remember this guy on the football team that you coach? And I said, yeah, I remember that name. And he said, this is his mother. I said, wow. He said, yes, we're living together. And it's at that point that you go, how do I keep my smile on my face <laughs> without betraying the fact that I'm a Paul? See, Paul was dealing with something that was appalling amongst the believers. This guy's not a believer. And he's, and he's now living with his good friend's mother from high school, you know what? Non-Christians do weird things. Paul is instructing the Corinthians and he's saying, you need to deal with this. And then he says at the very end of this passage, he has two rhetorical questions. These are questions that the answer is understood. And in the first one he says, what business is it of mine to judge people outside the church. Turn to each other. What's the answer to that question? 
with each other right now? What's the understood answer to that question? What business is it of ours to judge non-Christians? None of our business. Paul's instruction is, guess what? When you're dealing with non-Christians, you have no business judging. So I didn't say to this guy in life, you know, what you're doing is wrong. It's, it's a falling. It shouldn't be happening. I said nothing. It's none of my business to judge. Then Paul adds this, the second part of that verse, another rhetorical question. Are you not supposed to judge those inside the church? Again, with one another. What's the answer there? Yes. Here's the interesting thing. Paul is instructing, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we are supposed to judge Christians, not non-Christians. And what I find incredibly interesting is that the American church does exactly the opposite of these two things. We spend a great deal of time making judgments about non-Christians and the lifestyles of what they're doing. And we do next to nothing of addressing the issues that Christians are doing. Kids at school will say to me, you know, kids are kids, Christian school or not. Kids are kids, and kids are kind of two things that are naughty. And Christian kids do naughty things. I know that's shocking to people over here. Didn't expect that to happen. But we have to discipline kids that doesn't Christian who do naughty things. And kids will often say to me, well, why are you judging us? Why are you doing this? And it's because you claim, by being here, that you are someone who wants to follow Jesus. And kids who are smart will say, well, no, I'm not going to follow him. said, I still have an institutional responsibility to mete out the discipline. But here's the thing. We want to discipline you so that you'll become wise. Proverbs says, you discipline a fool, he hates you. You discipline a wise person, they love you. My discipline is going to reveal whether you're a fool or a wise kid. That's what it's going to reveal. Will you learn from the discipline or not? You know what? I am called by scripture to judge those inside the church. So Jesus' statement, judge not, is not saying you shouldn't judge. We are called to judge those of us within the body of Christ. Not non-Christians. And I'd, like, I'd love to see us begin to apply this in going and keep my mouth shut about non-Christians. But when I see a brother or sister in the faith who is doing something wrong, I have a responsibility to approach them and confront them in love. Not in, not in anger, but in love to go, what's going on? In Romans chapter 2, Paul says this. It's, it's another interesting one. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment 
on someone else. For whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you pass judgment, you do the same thing. You know, there's an interesting proverb in American English that when you point the finger at somebody to accuse them, you notice there are three fingers pointing back at you. And that is based off of the principle of this verse. Here's an interesting thing. We all make judgments. The interesting thing is, is the things that we judge others of, by what Paul is saying, really are like an idiot light on the dashboard of your life to point out you have a problem with I get kids all the time at, at school who say to me, I hate the hypocrites in the church. Are there hypocrites in the church? Absolutely. And their strong statement, I hate hypocrites in the church, reveals something to me. Those kids are struggling with hypocrisy. The truth of the matter is, that judgment and how strongly they feel about it actually is saying something about them. That they struggle with hypocrisy. See, Jesus' point, do not judge, lest you be judged yourself, is pointing out the same thing that Paul is pointing out. Those things that we are very dogmatic and judgmental about, about other people, is actually a reflection of something that we struggle with. And so his point is that, you know, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the way that you judge others, you will be judged. In other words, the standard that you're going to put out there in your judgment of others is going to be measured to you. How do you stand up to this and then he goes into a very, very um, interesting illustration. I've drawn a picture of it here. Um, I call it the eyeball illustration. And um, I, if, if I had what I do in class a little better, I'd like to point out that you've got two eyeballs facing each other, looking at each other. And Jesus' point is, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? all the while ignoring the log coming out of your own. Now, see, if you stick a two-by-four in your eye, it's rather gross. It is this huge thing sitting there, and your focus is on the little speck over in your brother. You know, as I meditated about this illustration, one of the things that's jumped out at me is this. That the reality is I don't have a log in my eye. I have a speck. But all you got to do to see what a speck looks like is take your own finger and put it up right next to your eyeball. And what does your finger start to look like? This huge, monstrous thing. See, the speck in your eye, from your perspective, is huge. In their eyeball, it's small. This is an issue of perspective. And Jesus' point is, what we're, what we're tending to do is to look out at their little issue and ignore the big issue in our own life. 
What you judge others of, you are guilty of doing yourself. By the way, do you ever listen to your statements of judgment? Do you ever listen to what you say? When you make judgmental statements about people. So let's go back to driving. Um, one of the wonderful things about living in the third world is that people drive differently in the third world than they do in the developed world. And part of the reason is this. When we were in Kenya, everybody who drove a car was a first-generation driver. Kenya got its independence in 1963. And before that, the colonial folk had trained a few of the Africans to be drivers, but the general African population was not permitted to drive. They could ride in buses and matatus to get places they didn't drive. So after independence, people could now drive. And the problem in Kenya was cars were very expensive. And until the price of vehicles began to drop, not many people drove. By the way, having just come back from Kenya, I can affirm that that problem has been solved. So many people have cars now that the problem is they have gridlock in Nairobi. But people who drive in, in, in Kenya are first-generation drivers. Many of you are the third generation of drivers in your family, some even the fourth. We've grown up with knowing that there are certain rules and ways to drive. And what I found in Kenya is, is that many people drive cars like they walk on a path. So think you know, you're walking on the U of A campus, and you're coming up with somebody when you're walking in the U of A campus, you don't think, let's see, right away, you've got to give, you know, give way to the person on the right, not the person on the left. What do you do? You just walk around. I was driving home from Alliance High School one afternoon, ministering up with students at Alliance High School, driving down the Grand Road, doing about 40 miles an hour, when a Kenya bus came out of a stop sign and pulled right in front of me. Because you know when you're walking, you can just step right in front of somebody and keep walking, and they come around you. And that happened all the time. But when this bus pulled down in front of me, I got really mad. And I looked at ahead on the road, and the road was clear, and I pulled out around in front of the Kenya bus and came in front of him, and I began to apply the brakes and slow down where he couldn't get around me until I stopped in the middle of the road. And I got out of my car and walked back to have a little statement with the bus driver. And I looked up at him and I pointed at him and I said, if you want to kill somebody, kill yourself. Pulling out in front of me like that is not right. That is wrong. So if you want to kill somebody, think about killing yourself. And I turned to walk back to my car. And the Spirit of God is very kind. He gave me a vision as I walked back to my car. And it was a vision of the, the Daily um, Nation newspaper in Kenya, the English-speaking newspaper. And on the front of the newspaper was a headline, Missionary Killed While Cussing Out Bus Driver. <laughs> And I got in my car, and I went, why am I here? To proclaim the gospel. 
to introduce people to Jesus. And I was screaming and bus drivers. So I came home to my beautiful bride. said, Susie, I did something today that bothers me. And I explained it to her. And she said, what do you want? And I said, well, what I want is, is that I want people on the road to obey the laws of the road. And she said, that's a nice thing to want. Why do you want that? Well, I want everybody to be safe. I don't want people to be in danger doing that. Proverbs says, all a man's ways seem innocent. But motives are great by the Lord. You know, we all justify our judgments. We justify what we do. Why do we make those judgments? Well, it was two weeks later, I'm driving in our car with Susie and our two boys, who were both like four and, and, and seven. They're in car seats in the back of our Peugeot. And I came into a roundabout by the old U.S. Embassy. And roundabouts are fun. I love roundabouts. Because once you get on the roundabout, you have the right of way. And everybody entering needs to yield to you as you go around the roundabout. So I came in the roundabout, and I'm coming around, and out of, out of my left, coming out of the street, comes a matatu, a minibus. It's sort of like a taxi with lots of people in it. And the guy cut me off. And boom, the anger comes out. And so he cut me off, and I then cut to the inside of the roundabout and got in front of him, and I shepherded him off the roundabout, off the road. And my wife and my kids are sitting in the car watching their father drive this guy off the road. And Susie very graciously said to me, Concerned about the safety of everybody, aren't you? My own words. I'm concerned about the safety of everybody. Not. I'm furious in my anger over being cut off. You know, what it showed me is I have an issue. And I have an issue when I drop in getting angry. And you know, I really like to judge people who cut me off. And I love to, you know, when, when, when somebody, when I get in lines, like I told you about at the beginning, and somebody's coming up, what wells up inside of me is, buddy, there is no way you're getting in front of me. You can die out there on the outside, but you're not coming in. What a gracious, loving, transformed person and And Jesus' point is this. Don't judge. Because when you judge, the standard that you put up there will be applied to you. You ever had somebody run a light on you or run at the end of the light and they should have stopped and they came through? Do you hear what you say to yourself about that? You ever run that light? And the amazing thing is, I've done that. I've been at the end and come through late. And it's always, you know, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry I'm doing this. 
but somebody else does it? That idiot. What's that stupid person trying to do? And out comes my judgment. See, Jesus' point is, is that when we start judging people, it's actually revealing something in us. And what he's saying is, on the eyeball, you're so focused about what their little spot is, you're ignoring your own. And his statement is interesting. He says, first, the lesson being, first, start with yourself. When you're aware that you're making judgments, and by the way, I'd encourage you to ask your friends to hold you accountable. When you hear me make statements that are judgments, will you reflect to me what you're hearing? Because oftentimes we, we are just oblivious to what we're saying. And people who love us and know us will hear us say things and go, you know, why does that bug you so much? What's going on there? What's happening in your mind? Because your judgmental statements are revealing there's something in you. And so Jesus' point is, first, you know what you need to do? You need to learn to take the log out of your own eye. You notice that I wear glasses. Um, if you've noticed, my wife is wearing glasses this evening, but she also wears contacts. I will never wear contacts. It, it grosses me out to watch her put them in to where I And then, we heard early on when she had them in, and she'd lose one, that it slipped around to the back of the eyeball and was scraping on the brain, that she would come to me and go, you know, could you help me get it out? And I'm going, I ain't doing that. I am not even coming close to that. I am not the person you want helping you find a lost contact. Because if you let me do it, about the third knuckle of my finger would be in your eyeball trying to scrape that thing out. I don't have very good skill on getting contacts out of eyeballs. You know who has good skill at that? People who wear contacts. They've learned. They've learned dealing with their own eyeball that it is not background scraping on their brain which is what I think it's doing, which appalls me. They, on the other hand, know it's sitting down there somewhere and we can find it and, you know, and they can help you. Why? Because they have learned to do it with themselves. Here's the thing. Jesus' point is not to judge people, lest you be judged yourself. And then he states, guess what, gang? If you first take the log out of your own eye, you will then see clearly enough to help your brother with this speck. You know what he wants us to do? Is to help each other. To be in assistance. To address the issues in one another. But how? With compassion. Kindness. To, to do it in a delicate way. You know, our problem is that we all think confrontation is combative 
and it's kind of you smack him in the head and you, you call him names, and that is not at all what confrontation needs to be like. Confrontation should be how would you want to be How would you want to be We'll address your brother Now, there's a danger here to think, oh, I've got to get all the logs out of my eye before I can help my brother. That is not true. You, it is a point to begin to do that. As you begin to address the issues in your life, you will then have the means and the understanding of how to address the issues in other people's lives. It is a huge principle here. You want to help people? You know where you start? With you. A couple of things here. Um, my counseling friends have told me this principle. You want to help people, two things need to be true before you can actually help someone. Number one, the person has to understand or agree with that there is a problem. You ever tried to help somebody who didn't think there was a problem? You're not getting very far. They're going to tell you to butt out of your life. They have no problem. And the first thing you've got to identify is, is there a problem? And marriage counselors did this all the time. Couples come in and they say, we got a problem. And tell me, what does most couples do when they, when they say, we've got a problem? Where is the problem? What do they do? They point. I got a problem. It's my wife. It's my husband. And they go across. And counselors all on, on, have told me this. They've got to first understand there's a problem, but the second thing that a good counselor will get them to understand is that the real source of the problem is them, not the other person. And when those two things become clear, that there's a problem and I'm the problem, you can really start to give help. You can start to address the issues. But as long as it's that, oh no, it's that other person that's the problem. There's no problem with me. They're the ones who are hypocrites or judgmental or whatever else, and they're all saying, and the whole time is all those judgments are pointing back to, you know, who's got the problem? The person making the judgments. So one of the big issues here is, is, is to come back and say, who's got the problem? And Jesus' point is, guess where you first need to begin? With you. And start to address the log in your own life. The speck that is there. And so um, his, his thing is, from, from uh, there is to remove the speck, Proverbs 20 verse 5 says it great. It says, the purposes of a man's heart are like deep waters, but a man of understanding can draw them out. Um, deep waters, it's an interesting illustration. Uh, the Indian Ocean off of the coast of Kenya is crystal clear. There's a reef along the Kenyan coast that is, it makes Hawaii's reefs look like slums. Because I've done Hawaii, and I've done East Africa, I'd rather go to East Africa and do the reef there. You can actually sit on a boat, get a little block of, of, of wood, 
with a pane of glass and stick it and see 25 feet down, crystal clear. The water is 88 degrees in the Indian Ocean. You can snorkel for hours and just see everything. That very same water could take a boat to go a mile offshore and look into the same water. You see nothing. Because guess what? When the water gets deep, you can't see the bottom. When it's shallow, you can see. The purposes in our hearts, God says, are like deep water. They're down there, and we don't see them clearly. This is why it is so amazing that he says, don't judge, let's do judge yourself. That it's our judgments that are actually reflections of what's going on deep down. And as Proverbs says, it's a man of understanding who can draw them out. This is where I see the connection. You learn to take that log out of your eye. You gain the experience to be able to help start to draw out what's going on in your brother's stack. And so the lesson from this is, is this. Um, judgments reveal something that is going on inside of us. When I get angry at people who do things on the road, the problem for me is in here. Doesn't mean that what they're doing is right. The problem's in me. Second, I need to look and become a student of myself into where am I making judgments? Because that's going to start to reveal where some of the issues of my life lie that God wants me to address and to see change. Third, it is in dealing with the issues of my life that I grow in my ability, my experience, in being able to help my brothers and sisters in faith with some of the issues. Folks, there is a need for professional counselors. We, there, there, there are people who are, have got serious issues that are beyond our paper to deal with. But I think we sell ourselves short and say you have to be a professional to be able to help someone. Jesus said when he said that he wants us to disciple others, that this is an aspect of discipling people. It is helping to reflect, to show them what you see and hear, and help them begin to deal with it. And so, it is so fascinating that after this section of chapter 7, the last six, the next six verses in 7, it's interesting that Jesus says this section where you should ask and you should seek and you should knock. I think this last section of chapter 7 is actually the summary of this portion of Jesus' teaching. And that is this. Uh, you've got issues with wealth or possessions or issues with fear or with judging. Guess what? You've got a resource. You can ask God and seek and knock and go, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? What do you want to address? As David prayed in Psalm 139, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and lead me in the everlasting life. 
we can ask and seek and knock to know. Second is that, that he said, you know, you give good gifts to your children. <clears throat> and then he says, if you being evil know how to give good things to your own kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give you what is good? By the way, there's no comparison. It is, it is beyond coming close. And so, as a parent, or as someone who understands doing something good for someone else, that you take your Father in heaven, how much more does he want to do good for you? What's there to be worried about? If my Father knows what I need. By the way, how committed is God to changing you? It's what he's doing with his kingdom. He wants to transform you into the image of his son. This opportunity when we look at how we judge and what God wants to address is part of God at work to go, I want to make you like my son. Who, by the way, was very judgmental of the religious elite and very non-judgmental to the lost. And third, he says this, you are to do to others what you would have them do to you. Rule and rule. What an amazing statement. See, our judgments that we make on others, when we start to address the issues, will change how they address judgment. Because I'm judging. And I'm in need of God's grace. And my God, I don't want my standard to be God's standard for me. Because if it is, I'm in deep, deep, deep. I want the mercy of God for his people. Well, if that's the case, then what should I offer? That mercy. So those statements by Christ at the end capture an aspect of how we should be living with each other. It's not a thing of not judging. It's using judgments as a platform by which we see real change brought about in our lives. Right? Would you guys come back up for a time of worship and for communion? If you're a visitor to um, the vineyard, uh, we have the communion table here. It is open to anyone who is uh, attempting to follow Jesus and trying to do that. Uh, you may come up uh, on your own or with others and partake uh, all the while that we're singing uh, times of prayer.